Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you I want to teach this month on a very, very important subject. Today, the title is Walking in Love. Walking in Love. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, from verse 1 and 2, he said, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Verse 1 says, imitate God. Now, what does it mean to imitate somebody? It means to copy, try to do things exactly the same way somebody else is doing it, by close observation. This scripture suggests an example of how our children take after us in a lot of things we do. Children watch us, they observe us, and they try to imitate us. Most of us do a lot of things on impulse today because we learned it from our parents. So the Bible says that be imitators of God as dear children. If you are a child of God, one of the things you must learn to do is to study closely who your heavenly father is and how he is and how he works and imitate him, copy his behavior, his lifestyle. It's very difficult for you to say somebody is your father and there is no trace of similarity between you and the person. It is very difficult. So imitate God. And how do you do that? Verse 2 tells us how we do that. It's a walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, the question is, what is love? What is love? The dictionary defines love as a, an intense feeling of deep affection towards something or towards somebody. An intense feeling. Love is always a very strong emotion, attraction, and affection towards someone. The word love in the English Bible was translated from certain root words in the Hebrew and in the Greek. Today, I will focus more on the Greek because love is more emphasized in the New Testament. In the Greek, where the, the Bible, the New Testament was originally written, there are, only, there are two words that are translated love. Two. There are four Greek words for love, but only two of them were used in the New Testament. And these two words are filio. Filio. Filio means tender affection. It means, uh, Romans 12 calls it brotherly love. A love that exists among brothers. When two people call themselves brothers, it is a very special relationship. They quarrel, but they get over it. They are there for each other. They are strongly loyal to one another, and they seek their interest for one another. A common example is the relationship between David and Jonathan. So it is the love that exists between people who are friends, very good friends, is the word filial. The second Greek word that was translated love is the word Agape. Agape is the noun. The verb is agapao. 
It means a love that is sacrificial. It's not just affectionate, but it goes beyond affection to sacrifice, to putting someone first before yourself. It is also a love that is constant and never fails. It's there all the time, 24-7. It's there seven days in a week, 12 months in a year. It's there morning, afternoon, evening. It never fails. And it is not conditional. And this word is used in always in connection to God's relationship with mankind. So in John 3.16, when Jesus said, God so loved the world, the Greek word there was agapao. God so loved the world. The word love was a Greek word agapao. It means sacrificial, constant, unfailing, unconditional love. Now, it gives us the idea that there are two kinds of love, actually. There are two kinds of love. One is, the, is what we are very used to, natural love. Natural love manifests in us by the time we are teenagers. Almost every teenager is trying to fall in love. Right for elementary, we all learn how to write love letters, and our parents are laughing at us. And today we are laughing at our children when they say they are in love. Because we think we feel like they don't even know what they are talking about. But they, are, they mean business when they say they are in love. They are very serious. Whilst you are laughing, they are very serious. Because inherent in everybody is the need for love and the desire to love. But natural love is performance-centered. So naturally, when by the time a teenager says, I love somebody, there are many reasons why he loves the person. Maybe he likes the appearance. He likes the, a lot of things. Sometimes you can get people to, to fall in love with you because you have some special abilities in school. Either you are brilliant or you are very good in sports or very good in something. At least there must be something you are good at that attracts people to you. So natural love is performance-centered. That means people love you because of something you do. It is also self-centered. That means people love you because they want something in return, and it's conditional. So natural love is not beneficial because it's not sustainable, because it's performance-centered. If that whatever good you do that makes people to love you, if you don't do it anymore, the love is gone. People love you because they get money from you. If you are broke, the love is gone. People love you because you open some doors for them. If the door closes, the love is gone. So it is a love that is conditional. If that condition cannot be met, the love is gone. So natural love is fine, but it's self-centered. That means people always want something in return for the love they offer. That is why teenagers, when they talk about they are in love, the next thing they are talking about is sex. Because by the time somebody tells you I love you, he's trying to tell you, I want to go to bed with you. Not protect your dignity, but violate your dignity, actually. So it is self-centered. It is, the person doesn't love you because of you. The person loves you because of him or her. So it's self-centered. And um, if I must say, natural love, it doesn't benefit anybody. 
If people love you naturally, they benefit you and you lose. But there's a second kind of love, which is divine love. This is the love that we receive when we give our life to Jesus. The Bible said in Romans chapter 5, from verse 5, it said, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God. Everybody say the love of God. So there is a love called the love of men. And there's a love called the love of God. There is a love called the love of men. And please, many times when people say they love you, it is the love of men. Even in marriage, most of the time, what people call love in marriage is the love of men. But there is also another love called the love of God. You see, because the love of God has been what? Poured out into where? Our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So when you give your life to Jesus, Jesus, I give you my whole life from today. I turn my back to the world and to Satan. I want to be a child of God. I want to live my life for God from today. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is to pour out the love of God. So in every Christian, every believer, is the ability to go beyond natural love to manifest what? Divine love. In every Christian is the ability, because the Holy Spirit comes, the day you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to be in you. And one of his work is to pour into your heart divine love. Colossians 3 from verse 12. Colossians 3 from verse 12. You see, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Look at verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of Perfection. So the Bible started describing certain qualities, certain lifestyle practices. From verse 12, it talks about kindness, it talks about humility, it talks about tender mercies. That means special care. Tender mercy means special care. Everybody says special care. It said, put them on. That, that means it's not already there. You are not already wearing it, you put it on. You have it, but you need to put it on. So the Holy Spirit pours out divine, the love of God in your heart, but you need to activate it. You need to put it to work. That's the meaning of this scripture. Put on tender mercies. That means special care for people. Kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness means being teachable, allowing correction, long-suffering. That means tolerating difficult, troublesome people. He said, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. I've said a lot about forgiveness already. Then 
verse 14 says that, above all, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You see, the, the word bond of perfection is very interesting. If you look at the amplifier, give me the amplifier of verse 14. It says that love is what binds all the qualities together as one. It is like a, you know, a local broom. When you put it together, you take a rope, you tie it so that it can be able to sweep well. It said, beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourselves in what? Unselfish love. That means there is a selfish love. That is the natural love. But there is another love called the love of God. He said it's unselfish love, which is what? The perfect bond of unity. For everything is bound together in agreement when each one seeks the best for others. Binding it together. This means that love is not automatic. Love doesn't just happen. It's a put it on. Love is a decision. Love is a decision. Very important thing I want to say today that you should never forget. Love is a decision. Love is not just an emotion. Love is not uncontrollable. Love is a decision to direct your affection towards a particular person or a particular thing at a particular time. So the biblical definition of love is that love is the decision to commit your affection unconditionally, unconditionally, committing your affection. Because in everybody, God has created that with the ability to be emotional. And when you are emotional, either you are angry or happy, either you hate or you love. That is the work of the emotions. You are happy, excited, or angry, or sad, you love, or you hate. And God put this emotion there for a purpose. Because each one is very important. Because you need to be happy when good things happen. You need to be sad when bad things happen. If you lose a loved one, it will be strange to see that you are happy. That means you are a wicked person. So no, none of the emotions is evil. But timing and purpose determines when each of the emotions is very relevant. Hello? Hate is very important. But there are certain things we must hate. Because there are certain things that you can never get rid of it unless you first hate it. For instance... You cannot stop sinning unless you hate sin. You can never become successful unless you get to the point where you hate failure. You can never become rich until you hate poverty. You know, most poor people love poverty. And there are poor people today, even if you open a door for them that will make them rich, they don't want it. They love to be poor because they love to depend on people. Anyone you see fighting hard to get out of poverty and become extremely rich, when you meet somebody who is rich and is still working hard to be rich, you must know there is some hatred he has for where he's coming from. Oh, yes. If you hate broken homes, you work hard on your marriage. You work hard. So hatred is important, but God didn't put hatred in our emotions so that we hate human beings. God didn't put hatred in our emotions so that we hate human beings. And so what the devil does is to misdirect your emotions. He makes you hate people and never hate failure. 
There are people who hate you. They hate human beings. They hate. They can hate. But when they see failure, they smile at it. When they see sin, they smile at it. When they see the devil, they smile at him. You see? So you are misdirecting your emotions. But love is the decision to commit your affection unconditionally to someone. Today, I want to spend the rest of the time talking about the new commandment. Everybody say the new commandment. Everybody say the new commandment. John 13, 34, one of the most important scriptures in the New Testament. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Verse 35. That by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment I give to everybody. Say new commandment. So when Jesus came to die on the cross, we all have been taught that Jesus brought grace to us and the purpose of grace is to cause us to please God without the law. In the Old Testament, people please God by obeying all the laws of the, of the commandments, all the commandments of the law. You must obey them before you become righteous, before you please God. But when Jesus came, he came to die on the cross, and the Bible said you please God by believing in his finished work. When you believe in his finished work, you receive grace. Everybody say grace. So that grace means that you have pleased God in spite of the commandments of the law. So it means that today, the basis for being a child of God is not obeying the Ten Commandments, but receiving Jesus as your Savior. That means somebody can obey all the Ten Commandments, but if he doesn't have Jesus in his life, he is not a child of God. He's just religious. Now, Jesus was teaching a disciple and said, I came to set aside the law, but I came to give you a new commandment. In fact, Jesus didn't even talk about setting aside the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill the law. And then he was teaching the disciple. He said, a new commandment I give to you. Now, when Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, he suggests to you that there was an old commandment. There was an old commandment. And you know, he was talking about the commandments of the law. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not worship idols, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Certain 13 commandments put together to become, we call the law. Anytime you see the word law in the Old Testament, it's referring to 613 commandments. But Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. That means he was setting aside the old commandments. Number two, he was giving a superior commandments. And the new commandment Jesus said I give to you, he said that you do what? Love one another. And the Greek word that was translated love there is agape. That is love people not with natural love, but with divine love. He said love one another. And he didn't just say love one another so that you go guessing what Jesus meant by that. Because sometimes everybody's definition of love seems to differ from people to people. But divine love has one definition. So this is what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you that you what? Love one another. How? 
as I have loved. How did Jesus love us? Unconditionally. How did he love us? Sacrificially. We were sinners. Wicked, cruel, ungodly, sinful, shameful, filthy. And he loved us and died for us. As I have loved you. We are supposed to love each other like Jesus loved us. That is the new commandment. As Jesus loved us. How did he love us? He loved us to the point of death. He went through all the pain and all the sacrifice because of love. It was love that drove Jesus to the cross. Love for you drove Jesus to the cross. Then 1 John 3, 23. I need 1 John 3, 23. He said, and this is his commandment. He's talking about Jesus. That we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. This is his commandment, one word, commandment, not plural. So in the, in the Old Testament, there are 630 commandments we form the law. In the New Testament, there is only one commandment, one. And what is it? So love. So this scripture is explaining John um, 12, 34. It says that we believe. That means that after you have given your life to Jesus, there is one more important thing to do. To love people, not by natural love, but by divine love. Now, why did Jesus give only one commandment? Because love is the fulfillment of the whole law. In the book of Romans 13, verse 8, Romans 13, verse 8, Romans 13, verse 8, it says, All no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. So, Jesus made the Old Testament simple for us. He said, you don't need to memorize all those 613 laws. There's a simple key. The one you click it, you unlock, you unlock all the 613 laws in operation in your life. And he said, the difference between we and the Old Testament people is that we have the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we can put it on. We can activate it. We can activate it. That means that everybody here who is a Christian, you can decide to walk in love or not walk in love. And, and let me say that there are many church-going Christians who don't walk in love. They don't walk in love. Some because they don't know what even love is. That is one of my challenge with the teaching on this subject of love because we are always told to love without being told what it is. And every time we are told to love, most of the time we are being told to do it naturally. So today I want to tell everyone here, if you are born again, you have the ability to love people like Jesus loved us. And that is the place of enjoying maximum blessings. Oh, no one anything except to love. That means every day you wake up, you owe people love. Let me say that again. Every day you wake up and God gives you life, you owe people what? What does it mean to owe? It means you are under obligation to pay. You are under obligation to pay everybody you meet during the day, love. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves 
another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I, love, I like verse 10. Love does not no harm to a neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor. It is the decision to relate with people in a godly way. Love is the decision to relate with everyone in a godly way. No harm. Everybody say no harm. No harm. Not even to people who hurt you. Not even to people who hurt you. Not even to people who hurt you. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you love your wife, you won't commit adultery, will you? Will you? I need an answer, please. If you love your neighbor, will you steal from him? If you love someone, will you kill the person? If you love someone, will you fabricate false reports about him? If you love your neighbor, will you speak evil of him? If you love your neighbor, will you plan his downfall? If you love your neighbor, will you pray that he should fail in life? When you walk in love, you don't need any commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not refuse to give money to your wife. Thou shalt not... <laughs> thou, thou shalt not uh, retaliate. Thou shalt not... You don't need any thou shalt not. When you are walking in love, you don't need any... You see, you need thou shalt not if you don't walk in love. That is why the law, the commandments was given to people in the Old Testament because they were not introduced to the love of God. So love is the fulfillment of the law. When you walk in love, you fulfilled the law. And Jesus said, this is the proof that you are my true disciple. That means there can be false disciples. John 13, 35. He said, by this all men will know you are my true disciple. And please, and please, don't be a Christian that is described as a false disciple by Jesus himself. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciple if you have loved one for another. You know, one of the scriptures that helps me to check myself all the time is in Matthew 7, 21. He said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom. Have you ever seen that in the Bible? Oh, yeah. It's scary. If you read it well, you should be scared. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22 is more scary. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice what? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Depart. So being a true disciple is not about how spiritual you are. 
how fantastic your tongues. It's like when you rattle tongues, everybody must be silent. That, that's not spirituality. That's, that's not being a true disciple. It's not even about how you can prophesy. It's not about how many visions you can see. The closest people to God are not necessarily the people who see visions. It's not how much you can shake under the anointing. It's not even how long you can pray. You can pray 13 hours a day. That doesn't make you a true disciple. You can cast out demons in church and still not be a true disciple. What makes you a true disciple is your ability to walk in love. Ability to walk in love. It's your ability to walk in love. I want to close. I'm thinking about which the best scripture to close with. 1 John 3, 14, and then we'll read 1 John 4. John was called the apostle of love. When I started studying on love two years ago, I realized it's not by accident he was one of the most anointed among all the apostles that worked with Jesus. In fact, he was the closest to Jesus, and he was the last to die. In fact, they killed him several times. He didn't die. They put him in all, closed the, the drum, and set fire to it for hours at high temperature. When they finished, they brought a person I was too briefing. <laughs> and they said, this person is not a human being. So they put him alone in a, in a canoe and took him to an island where there were a lot of wild animals and nobody survives on that island. It's like what we have in, in Africa now, evil forest. So they went to dump him there, no water, no food, no nothing, and they left him alone. And that was where he was receiving heavenly visitations. It was on that island he wrote the book of Revelation. You know, if you read the book of Acts, Ephesus was one of the cities that was given to strong idol worship and demonic activity. That is why Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle now against flesh and blood, blah, 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 teaching. Uh, you know, Apostle Paul did a lot of ministry work in Ephesus, started a church in Ephesus. There was a temple called the Temple of Diana. It was um, a big idol that was worshipping the whole of that region. You know, church history says that Paul couldn't pull down that temple. But later, John took over that church as a pastor. That temple was pulled down. He was a very anointed man. And there's only one message John preaches, love. And I'll show you why right now. First John 3, 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. You know, John was so severe on the subject that he said, anyone who does not work in love actually is not even born again. I mean, he, he raised a very controversial. He said, anyone who is a who is religious, goes to church, and still doesn't walk in love, is not truly born again. That's what I mean by abide in death. We know we have passed from death to life. What John was trying to say is that you can tell if somebody has walked away from the devil and is walking closely with God by his ability to love. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Then he goes on to say something in 1 John chapter 4, the same person from verse 16, 1 John 4, 16. I'm closing with 1 John 4, 16. 
one of John's most powerful statements on love. He said, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. <laughs> wow. So I think John was trying to put here the secret to his spiritual life and how, I mean, his whole life. He, God is love. Turn to never and tell him God is love. So the nature of God is what? Love. And if we say God created us in his image and he put his spirit in us, the spirit of God in you is not a spirit of hatred. You can tell what spirit somebody is operating with by how he lives his life. Hello? So God is love. If you are a child of God, God, your father, your heavenly father, the Bible says he is love. So are there traces of your father in you? God is love. And he who abides in love, that means someone who commits his love, himself to practicing love. Someone who commits himself to practicing divine love. The love of God. The person abides in God and God abides in the person. That means you become one with God. That means everywhere you show up, God is there. Everywhere you are, God is there. That means you cannot separate the person from God. Either. The person become a divine, supernatural person. I have learned from studying on love that one of the easy ways to enjoy God's constant presence is love. Kenneth Hagin said all his life, one of the things that the Holy Spirit taught him to never do is hurt people, even including those who offended him. And he said, that has been the key to the anointing on his life all the time. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Hope you've been blessed by today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.